Have you ever found yourself wondering about the role that Canadians played in old-time radio? Well, wonder no more. During the next 60 minutes, we'll delve into the careers of actors, writers, and directors who went abroad to find work, as well as those who stayed right here in Canada. Join me as together we explore Canadians in old-time radio. Hi everyone, I'm Devin Wilkins, founder and president of COTRA, the Canadian Old Time Radio Alliance. If you'd like to see what we have on our website, please visit www.cotra.ca. Well, from our Made in Canada file, we have a drama, and it's an episode of Theatre 1030 called... The Sandman. Theater graduate into the fiery pit. If you were only here, you might judge for yourself. But what I write to you will make you think me mad and a seer of ghosts. Shall I tell you the frightful thing that happened to me? Do you know what mortal effects I am trying in vain to shake off? My dear, on the 20th of October last, at 12 o'clock noon, a barometer seller came into my room and offered me his wares. 
I can hear you laughing now. What childish nonsense. Did the barometers all predict a hurricane? Yes. They did, in a way. I have told you very little of my childhood, save that my father died. Unfortunately. It is time you knew the rest. I have told you that my father was a wonderful storyteller. Around his study table after dinner, my mother, my sisters and I would be transported into worlds of fantasy and delight, greater, I swear, than other children ever knew. But on a few nights in the year, most often in the stormy autumn or the dead of winter, he would not speak. Silently, picture books in our hands, we would sit and watch him, mute and stiff in his armchair, growing almost invisible in tobacco smoke, like some dour spirit of the fog. On such nights, my mother was restless and dejected, and we waited in a gloomy apprehension until the clock struck nine. As the clock struck, my mother would tell us, off to bed, children, time for bed, the sandman is coming. And as we scattered to our bedrooms, more in fear than in obedience, we did hear someone clumping through the front hall with a slow and heavy step. I remember asking my mother who the naughty sandman was who drove us from papa. Why, she said, the sandman isn't a man at all. It only means you're sleepy now and must go off to bed. In my childish mind, I didn't believe her. Hadn't I heard his footsteps coming up the stairs? I asked old gardeners, nurses, people in the streets. Oh, how they did delight to frighten children. The Sandman, my dear, comes to bed, children, when they won't go to bed. Sand, handfuls of sand he throws into their eyes so that they pop all bloody out of their heads. Then the Sandman sweeps the eyes up into his sack and carries them to the half-moon as food for his children. His children sit there in a nest with crooked beaks like owls, with which they gobble up the eyes of human children who've been naughty. <laughs> <laughs> As the years passed and I became older, I outgrew old wives' tales of the Sandman's children and their dreadful nest. But every now and then, year after year, heavy steps would echo through the hallway. And the door of my father's study would be violently torn open. The Sandman's dealings with my father took hold of my imagination and would not let it go. I became obsessed with the supernatural and fantastic, with gruesome tales of hobgoblins, witches, tom-thumbs, and the like. At last, one night, 
when the gloom of the household foretold of one of the Sandman's visits, I hid behind a curtain in my father's room before the clock struck nine. My mother and sisters hurried away down the corridor, and the dreaded familiar steps approached. Then there came a sharp step just outside the door, and it clattered open. Summoning all my courage, I peered be- between the folds of curtain and and saw the old lawyer Coppelius. A huge, broad-shouldered man with a fat, shapeless head, a face the color of yellow earth, a twisted, sardonic mouth, and piercing green cat's eyes. He was a constant and hated guest at luncheon in our house, touching, as if by accident, with his huge, repulsive hands, every sweetmeat on the table, ruining them forever in our children's eyes. My father deferred to him as a superior being, at all costs to be humored, at all costs to be endured. This vile Coppelius was the Sandman, no longer a bogey from the nursery, but a living monster who spread gloom and misery wherever he set foot. Above my father's old stove in the corner, there now flickered a blue flame, and strange utensils stood about. To work, to work! Much to do, and they will be impatient. Feed the flames. Through the smoke and blue infernal light, I scarcely recognized my father. His gentle, honest features seemed contorted into a mask of agony. Human faces appeared to float in the murk. They stopped my heart when I saw that they had no eyes, only deep black cavities looking from nothing into nothing. Eyes! Our friends lack eyes and cannot see us. We must have eyes to give them sight. Overcome by horror, I screamed and fell out of my hiding place onto the floor. When I awakened, my mother told me that I had fainted. That Coppelius and my father were mere amateurs of chemistry but that the old lawyer was very, very angry and I must never eavesdrop again. Eavesdrop? I never dared to step into the room thereafter until that last dreadful night when Coppelius came again. My father promised that this was the last of all Coppelius's visits, and we were almost joyful when we went to bed. It was the last joy we were to know at home. For just at the hour of midnight, before the clock could sound, the noise of an explosion thundered through the house. 
My father's body. And we found it through the smoke and shattered glass. I cannot describe to you. More than to say that we knew him more from his form than from the remainder of his face. The incident was much talked of, and the authorities searched everywhere for Coppelius. But he had vanished without trace into the night. Oh, Clara. My dearest Clara. The man who came to my room here a few weeks ago, the barometer seller, he has changed his name, his dress, and his profession. But Clara... It was Coppelius. My dearest Siegmund, forgive my writing to you on so intimate a matter, but you are my cousin, and the only confidant the poor Nathaniel seems to have. No doubt he's told you all about the diabolical death of his father and of wicked barometer peddlers who haunt his dreams and such nonsense. I have written to him countless times to try to banish these imagined specters with a little honest laughter. But he calls me cold, unfeeling, and a stranger to the black abysses of this world. I believe with all my soul that the evils of the world can never touch us unless we give them entry of our own free will. Until we let them become a part of us, they are helpless phantoms, drifting around us, knocking in vain for welcome. Dear Siegmund, I love Nathaniel deeply. Someday I shall be his wife, though a hundred Copeliuses tell us nay. Watch him, guard him, and let me know his mind. Has he resumed his studies? Are his professors sympathetic? I curse the distance that separates us. Let me know everything that you see fit. No. Everything. As always, Clara. delighted that I have better news for you. Nathaniel has come under a good influence, who has done more for him than I could ever hope to. He goes daily for his tutorial to the house of the renowned physicist, Professor Spallanzani, who has convinced him that the poor old barometer seller is not, after all, the devil in disguise. He is a poor mechanic named Giuseppe Coppola, and the professor, who is of course himself Italian, swears that his accent is the purest Piedmontese. You cannot imagine how relieved Nathaniel seems. Spallanzani himself is a most peculiar man. Brilliant, of course, but rather eccentric, as natural philosophers are apt to be. He has a daughter whom he keeps locked up behind a glass door with a green curtain. The curtain was a little parted yesterday as Nathaniel and I came up to our tutorial. And there in a sealed room sat a tall, beautifully proportioned girl in sumptuous clothing 
hands folded, motionless. Would you believe it? We watched for a moment or two, and she never moved. We learned afterwards that she is called Olympia, and gossip says she is kept hidden away there because she is an idiot. She was dazzlingly beautiful. Oh, but that expressionless face. Oh, it made my flesh creep. <laughs> Poor Spallanzani. My dearest Clara, I have just suffered a most unpleasant experience. I was in my room, gazing out the window and idly wondering about Olympia, old Spallanzani's daughter. Sequin says he has told you of her. You know that I live opposite the professor's house, and I can often see her dimly through her window, sitting motionlessly, staring into space. She is a most curious phenomenon. I'm sure you will be quite interested. But as I looked, there came a tap at the door. Come in. Uh, I don't want any barometers today. Please, go away. <laughs> All right. No barometer. But I have the better thing. Eyes. Lovely eyes. Eyes? Madman. How, how can you have eyes? Oh, wait and you see. Spectacles to put on your nose. Those are my eyes, my lovely eyes. See how so many eyes all glance and wink and stare at you, eh? See how the beams, the blood red beams, blaze and intersect and warm your heart. Stop! Stop! God in heaven, stop! Oh, nothing there you like, eh? Well, here's a fine little pair of binoculars. Binoculars? The pocket. Does not this perhaps please you? Uh, uh, I, I beg your pardon. I, I really don't know what came over me. I, I thought you were someone else. I was forgetting. Uh, binoculars. Uh, yes, sir. Let's see them. Here you are. Thank you. Good Lord. How close they bring things. Uh, yes, that's right, the two. Uh, try them on the street. Across the street. Olympia. I beg at the park. Olympia. She's more beautiful than I could have imagined. Her eyes are moonlight. They... What am I saying? How much, old man? How much for the glasses? Tres zucchini, three ducats, senor. There you are. Thank you. You may take the spectacles and go. Find a pair of glasses, eh? Yes, yes. Uh, goodbye. Goodbye, my friend. <laughs> what a repulsive man. I suppose he's laughing because he thinks I paid too much for the binoculars. <laughs> My dear Clara, I am afraid that I have the most serious news for you. I had better tell you the whole truth, omitting nothing. Last evening, Spallanzani astounded the entire university by giving a great ball at his house, whose star attraction was none other than his secluded daughter, Olympia. 
Nathaniel and I received invitations, and at the appointed hour, we entered the brilliantly decorated rooms. Look, is she not beautiful, Sigmund? Oh, very. She has one of the most finely modeled faces and figures that I've ever seen. But, Nathaniel, the way she walks, and look at her gestures... Have you ever seen anything so stiff and measured? Oh, I don't like her in spite of her beauty. You have no soul. None at all. Of course, she is constrained. This is her first social occasion. Have you noticed that no one is asking her to dance? Hmm? I have. And I will. I must beg you to excuse me. You're as light as a swallow, Olympia. And they tell me you play the harpsichord magnificently. Magnificently! Why has your father kept you from us so long? Ah, uh, ah. Uh. Forgive me for shivering. Your hand seems cold. No, cool. Like alabaster. Olympia, I have seen you at your window for days. Weeks, rather. I know it must seem presumptuous, but... I love you. Uh, uh... Then you do care for me as well? Oh, my darling. You must know I am your father's favorite student. I know he won't oppose the match. See? He's smiling on us from the corner there. I, I promise to love and cherish you forever. Will you marry me? Uh, uh... Oh, my dearest. My darling one. My splendid star of love. Now that you have come, my soul will never want for light again. Ah, uh, ah. Uh. Olympia? Olympia? My dearest, must you go? Ah, uh, ah. Uh. And to think that they laughed at you. I saw them this evening and I heard them saying your singing is too perfect and that you play the harpsichord like a metronome. Nathaniel! Nathaniel! What are you standing there looking moonstruck for? Don't you see the rooms are empty and the guests have all departed? The candles are guttering, the flowers are dead. Come on, let's be gone. Did you see? Oh, Sigmund, did you see how Olympia danced? Oh, in heaven's name, will you please tell me how an intelligent fellow like you can possibly have fallen for that waxen-faced wooden doll? you forgotten you are engaged to Clara? I forgive you, Sigmund, for you are Clara's cousin and my friend. Thank the fates you are insensible to Olympia's beauty, for if we were rivals, one of us would die a violent death. Oh, good God, Daniel. I concede her beauty, but her eyes, man, her eyes, they're completely devoid of life, almost of vision. Oh, she's uncanny. I swear she's only acting the part of a living being. I don't want anything to do with her. Go, go, villain! Did I give everything I had for that? Oh, that wasn't our wager. I made the eye. And I, the clockwork. To hell with you and your clockwork, you wretched mechanic! Satan! Let go! Cheat! What is it? What on earth's the matter? Professor! Professor! Spallanzani, what's wrong? Dearest Clara, 
I do not ask you to believe what we saw. Professor Spallanzani and the peddler Coppola held Olympia between them, dragging at her and pulling her apart. The springs and cogs fell from her, littering the floor. were the hollow sockets of a wooden dog. Olympia! <laughs> Nathaniel, you fool. What are you standing there for? After him. After Coppola. He has my doll, my best automaton. Twenty years of work and he's run off with it. The mechanism, the walk, the power of speech are mine the eyes he stole from you. Rogue, villain, after him, he has your eyes. Monster! I sat at your feet. I worshipped your learning and now you... The eyes... Coppelius. Oh, God! Then Coppola is Coppelius, and I am lost. Spin, spin, wooden tongue, eyes flare and burn. Coppelius has escaped, but I can kill you. Oh, God's sake, no, no, help, help, bad man. My mother will by now have conveyed to you the tragic news. Our poor Nathaniel seemed much better in those last few weeks, until yesterday. We've been walking and climbed the great tower of the marketplace to see the sun go down. We stood arm in arm on the topmost gallery, and I pointed out an odd illusion of the altitude. A strangely shaped grey bush that seemed to be striding towards us over the ground. Seizing an old pair of quaint binoculars that he found by chance in his pocket, Nathaniel looked at the moving bush and and plunged over the side. Ah! When I had fled down from the tower, there remained nothing remarkable upon the ground save his poor crushed body. But there were no binoculars. My dear Siegmund, in spite of all my reason, and in spite of all his will, I believe the Sandman came for him at last. I hope... Oh, God, I pray the part about his children on the moon is true as well. story, The Sandman, was our story tonight on Theatre 1030. David Renton played Nathaniel, Faith Ward was heard as Clara, 
Bruce Armstrong played Siegmund, and Joseph Rutten, Professor Spallanzani. Dr. Coppelius was played by Gavin Douglas, who adapted the work for this medium. Sound effects, Carl Scott and Wayne Mackey. Technical operation, Bud Tabor. Produced for Theatre 1030 by Peter Donkin. From our Canadians Abroad file, we have something on a little lighter vein. An episode of The Marriage from October 4th, 1953, entitled PTA 5th Grade Volunteer. The Canadian who is featured in this is Hume Cronin, who was born in London, Ontario. The National Broadcasting Company's sponsorship of this program constitutes no endorsement of the opinions, philosophy, stubbornness, or confusion of the persons represented therein. However, with the conviction that marriage remains the most popular domestic arrangement between friendly people, NBC takes pleasure in presenting one of the most distinguished couples of the American theater, Jessica Tandy and Hume Cronin, as Liz and Ben Marriott, in the new dramatic series, The Marriage. Do you remember that article about highbrows and lowbrows? Well, I... I wouldn't say that Liz and I are exactly highbrow. We're somewhere in the middlebrow classification. We like a Gershwin ballad and a Cole Porter musical, but on the other hand, we enjoy Mozart and Beethoven and Stravinsky. And we like to think that the kids will go along with this. Emily went to the children's concert for the Philharmonic for one season, and Pete... <laughs> well, Pete's another story. As a matter of fact, this story. It started on an evening when Pete and I were alone in the living room. Pete. Yeah, Pop? What's that you're humming? Oh, just a song. Sounded familiar. Not very popular. I thought you were humming Beethoven's Eighth Symphony. Sure. The words are easy, too. Words? To Beethoven's Eighth? Sure. Beethoven, he was great. In his symphony we call the eighth. Where did you pick that up? In school. Music appreciation. You appreciate that? Sure. Why not? Come on, Pete. Come on. Uh, no, it's all right. Just come on. Liz! Liz, I have discovered a new art form. What are you talking about? Listen to this. Go ahead, Pete. Give it to Beethoven. Oh, Pop. Beethoven. Go ahead, Pete. It's all right. There's nothing wrong. Well, okay. Beethoven, he was great. In his symphony, we call him yay. <laughs> Any more, Pete? Sure. Amaryllis is by geese. I never knew. Any more? Sure, lots of them. Narcissus is a flower of wood and stream. It came to Ethel, but Nevin's well in the dream. Is nothing sacred? Liz, do you realize what's going to happen? Every time they meet a piece of music, it'll have one of these singing commercials tied to it, like a tin can on a dog's tail. I don't mind, really. I know what you mean. Someone once told me that champagne tasted like vinegar and seltzer, and ever since it has. Like the Bach B minor mass with additional lyrics by Irving Berlin. Ben, are you really upset? 
Or is it just an excuse for coining epigrams? Think what they could do with Tchaikovsky or Schubert. Schubert? I know one by him. Which one? This is the symphony that Mr. Schubert never finished. I know why. He knew this would happen. <laughs> even dare repeat the lyrics to the Moonlight Sonata. I hadn't given Pete's school much thought in a long time, but a few nights later it came up again. I was writing a brief, a creative literary masterpiece, because the law wasn't very strong on our side, and Liz was helping Pete with his homework. What were the principal contributions of the ancient Egyptians? Pyramids, papyrus, hieroglyphics, and mummies. Is that all? Isn't that all it says in the book? Um, yes, yes it is. Well... And that's all. Uh, do you know what the pyramids were, Pete? Sure. One of the principal contributions of the ancient Egyptians. No, I, I mean what they were used for. Mom, this is homework. I know, but the pyramids are very interesting. Maybe we could look it up in the Book of Knowledge. All we're supposed to know is what's in the book. Well, don't you want to know? I haven't got time. Ah. Then? All right, Pete, let's go on. Okay. Tell me about the pirates. What? Papyrus. You just said it. You didn't ask the right question. Well, what do you mean? You've got to ask the question the right way. Like in the book. Oh. Oh, you mean, uh, what are the principal contributions of ancient Egypt? Pyramids, papyrus, hieroglyphics, and mummies. See? That's ridiculous. Then you're working. See, how about the rest of your subject? Spelling? Reading? I don't have to do them. Well, you don't? No. It's the same as last year. The same as last year? Then you're brief. What do you mean it's the same as last year? We're doing the work all over again, that's all. Miss Whitaker says it's easier. Oh, she does. Tell me, Peter, what is this Miss Whitaker like? Old. She's very strict. And you heard her say that it was easier to do last year's work over again? Sure. Hey, Pop, what is this, a cross-examination? <laughs> no, 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 of course not. Oh. Liz, do you realize Later. that this... But if the teacher is Nathan, giving a... Nathan. I suppose Liz was right. Shouldn't be discussing Pete's teacher in front of him, even if she did need a little undermining. Later, it turned out to be when we were going to bed. Do we need a quilt? Not tonight. Liz, about Pete's school. I suppose I... the class is overcrowded. That's no excuse. Last year's work. How do they expect a child to keep up that way? It's disgraceful. But Liz, you know, the trouble with us is that we ship the children off to school and forget about them. Oh, do we? Ben, open the window. Do you realize that Pete spends five hours of every weekday with this person? Took more care in picking the babysitter. What do we know about this teacher? Old battle axe that's supposed to be educating our child. So we don't know that she's an old battle axe, for one thing. Well, Peter says so. I don't think he's a very reliable witness. Oh. You're on my side. Shove over. No sense in minimizing the problem, Liz. You ought to look into this school business. I ought to. Pete has a father, too. I don't know how many times I've asked you to come to those PTA meetings. You agree that they're important, but you always manage to find an alibi. Well, now, most of the evenings I've been working. Oh. You let me know when the next meeting is, and I'll make it. Tomorrow night. Tomorrow? 8.30. Oh. Okay. 
I'm going to do a little digging about this last year's work business. <laughs> you may find a PTA meeting a little, uh, a little elusive. Don't worry. I've had some experience in cross-examination. When I want to find out something, I'll get the facts. Uh-huh. Ben, you get up and turn off the lights. We arrived at Pete's school five minutes early. I wanted to have a chance to buttonhole this Miss Whitaker and get the truth out of her. The building was like many other schools in New York, built sometime in the 1890s and remodeled to the extent of having indoor toilets. The general effect was that of a steel engraving of the Tower of London at the execution of Anne Boleyn. What's the matter? Is this it? Well, don't you remember? I never saw it after dark. <laughs> Distinctly Charles Adams, isn't it? Oof. We're room 502. Come on. Where is she? Liz, which one is she? Miss Whitaker, was there across the room. The, the one with the gray hair. And the black bombazine? That's not bombazine. Looks as though it ought to be. Come on, I want to get to her before the meeting. Excuse me. Excuse me, please. Well, hello there. Uh, hello. Hello. Excuse me. I don't believe we've met, have we? No, excuse me. I'm Dr. Carnahan. Uh, oh? Well, how do you do, ma'am? I always like to meet the mothers of my children. What? Excuse me a minute. Ben, uh, Dr. Carnahan is the principal. Oh. Well, I'm Ben Marriott. How, how are you, Mrs. Marriott? Our Pete is in the fifth grade. Uh, I was trying to reach his teacher. Miss Whitaker? Yes. There's something very important. Right? Excuse well, me. I'll tell you a secret. Yes, I will. I don't mind if it leaks out at all. <laughs> Excuse me. Miss Whitaker, exactly. Away. You guessed it. If they asked me what I couldn't do without, I'd say, take away the visual aids, take away the Sanford Binet intelligence test, but leave me Miss Whitaker. Yes, sir, she is a teacher's no, teacher. I'm not sure of it. I just wanted to ask her Yes, sir, your little girl is very lucky to have Miss Whittaker. It's a boy. It is? Well, congratulations. I never would have guessed it, ma'am. And when he grows up, he'll have Miss Whittaker, too. Uh, isn't Miss Whittaker close to retirement age? Whittaker is like the brook, oh? Mr. Marion. Men may come and men may oh, yes, go. Yes, yes, I But know. I go on forever. Oh, that is Miss Whittaker, you understand, not I. Well, I understand. <laughs> if you'll excuse me. I always I... like to meet my parents. And now, are there any questions that you might want to ask about the school? Well, as a matter of fact, yes. Damn. Good, good. Uh, it's uh, about the level of the work in the fifth grade. That's a uh, very good question. But I haven't it asked It shows you. a very sound grasp of our whole educational problem here. But you don't it's know... It's a pleasure, you know, to meet a parent with that much knowledge of pedagogy. Well, if you'll excuse me, it's about time I started the meeting. <laughs> The meeting was chaired by one of the mothers, a young woman who seemed to have committed Robert's rules of order to memory. Dr. Carnahan was called on to say a few words. Having been given this in, she took a mile. And I want to welcome you fifth-grade parents, many of whom I want you as fourth-grade parents. It's been going on for 20 minutes. I want to ask I a question. I have one other announcement. With a high percentage of Spanish-speaking children from Puerto Rico enrolled in the school, we're planning... A Caribbean festival in order to bring our parents closer together. That is, the separate sets of parents. It will be on Wednesday the 12th, and we're hoping for a 100% turnout of parents. I am going to ask a question. Ben, ben, Particularly the father. I've got a right to now, ask a question. I'd be very happy question. to sign up volunteers. Ben, put your hand down. Ah, I see a hand. There's a volunteer. Huh? He means you. Ah, yes, Mr. Marriott. I'm, I'm glad to see a father taking the lead. We're, we're very glad to have you. What did I do? The uh, first meeting is next Friday night. Meeting? 
of the Fifth Grade Fathers Caribbean Festival Committee. You've just volunteered. The meeting went on and on. Afterwards, when Liz and I left the old building, we stopped and looked up at us. This is the new part, then. When the rear wing was built, Ulysses Grant was in the White House. Look at those windows on the first floor. Colored paper cutouts. That's the kindergarten. It's sort of pathetic. That terrible gray stone front and those little splotches of color. Yeah. Well, come on. I warned you. I warned you PDA meeting might prove elusive. I spotted that Whitaker woman right after the meeting while you were getting your coat, and I'd have reached her, too. But I was soaked up by Dr. Carnahan again. He is a little absorbent. Yes, he wanted to congratulate me about volunteering. The Fifth Grade Fathers Caribbean Festival Committee. South America, take it away. I'll get out of that. Ben, you wouldn't chicken out. Elizabeth, if you'd been in the Army, you wouldn't say that. What gets me is that I wasn't able to get any kind of an answer from that Whitaker woman on Pete's repeating last year's work. Well, you did accomplish something. That isn't all I accomplished. I ran around Carnahan's end, and no mean feat, by the way, and managed to catch Miss Whitaker before she went back into the woodwork. What did you find out? Nothing. Carnahan was bearing down on me on the starboard tack, but I'll find out. At the next PDA meeting? No. Tomorrow night, I invited Miss Whitaker to dinner. <laughs> broached the subject of our expected dinner guest at breakfast. Oh, no, Pop, no. You have some objection, Pete? Oh, no. Well, what is it? Don't you like Miss Whitaker? Sure, but she's a teacher. I know, that's why we're having her. But you don't have teachers to dinner. Well, we have lots of guests to dinner. You've never objected before? You never had a teacher before. How about Uncle Arthur? You like him? He just teaches school. He isn't a teacher. You mean he isn't your teacher? That's right. Look, Pop. Suppose I tell her you're sick. Or I could tell her Emily has the morning. Never mind. We've invited Miss Whitaker to dinner and she's coming. Oh, no. You've said that. Can't you explain why you're so upset? Well, teachers are teachers. Over here. And parents. Well, they're parents. Over here. And never the twain shall meet, eh? But what if somebody should find out? Pete, I think you're making too much fuss about this. We're just interested in your schoolwork. Mom, he's going to cross-examine him. Never mind, dear. You go get your tie on for school. But, Mom... Go ahead. I've got some right, haven't I? See what I mean? No. Our child is afraid to have a teacher come to dinner. Why? Ben, it's just his sense of propriety. Children are very conservative. What have politics got to do with us? Not politics. He wants situations he's used to. The teacher in school, the parents at home. When you get it mixed up, he gets nervous. Uh, sounds as though we've got something to hide. Well, that isn't it at all, I hope. Well, once I get that Whitaker woman here, I'll get the truth. Ben, Pete's right. You can't cause examiner. Not when she's arguing. There are some things that are more important. Huh? What is it? I could tell you broke her leg. Don't bother. Well, maybe you will. Being somewhat uncooperative about these things, I managed not to break my leg by evening... Emily neglected to contract the mumps, so the dinner went off on schedule. Uh, Pete, would you like another helping of potatoes? No, thanks. I'm not hungry. Oh, Miss Whitaker? Oh, no, thank you. This is fine. 
Well, Miss Whitaker, very nice meeting you this way. There's so many things I want to talk to you Mom, about. Can I have some more potatoes? Pop, would you please pass my plate? Oh, certainly. Well, Miss Whitaker, you know, I wanted to speak to you at the PTA meeting, but now we can have a real talk. Pop, uh, my plate. Here you are. Uh, let's see. Oh, yes. Uh, you know, there are a number of questions about the schoolwork, which I think... Gravy, please? Uh, what was that? Would you pass my plate for gravy, please? Here you are, Peter. Don't you think you could decrease the traffic up and down my side of the table? I'm sorry. Oh, what was I saying? I knew that if I had a chance to speak to you... Oh, yes. Thank you. I'll, I'll withdraw that. Ben. I mean, it isn't just Peter's marks, you understand. Oh. Uh, tell me, Miss Whitaker. I know a you... riddle. Pete, I'm talking. I'm sorry. That's better. It's a real good one. I'm sure Miss Whitaker hears enough riddles all day, Peter. Oh, no, I collect them. All right, go ahead, Pete. What did the bop musician say when he saw the end of the movie Salome with the head on the silver platter? We all give up. Man, dig that crazy dessert. <laughs> I read that in the newspaper this morning. Are you quite finished, Peter? I'm afraid so. Well, Miss Whitaker, what I've been trying to get you know, out of... It is amusing. Uh, what is, Miss Whitaker? That crazy dessert. <laughs> Dinner went on over a number of conversational barricades hastily thrown up by Peter as he retreated to a defense in depth. Finally, dinner was over. Cigarette, Miss Whitaker? Uh, no, thank you. Well, Pete, guess you better go into your room and start on your homework. I thought maybe I could do it after Miss Whitaker left. Peter, go ahead. Well, good night, Miss Whitaker. Good night, Peter. Good night, Mom. Good night, dear. Pete? I'm afraid Peter doesn't seem very hospitable. Oh, children never do. They're always embarrassed. Afraid their parents will make a faux pas. Now, Miss Whitaker, I'm glad to be able to talk to you. So am I, Mr. Marriott. You see, frankly, we were disturbed by a number of things. And I made up my mind to find out. I see. Do you feel... No, let me put it this way. Don't you agree that the most important attitude a child can develop is the desire for knowledge? I suppose so. Ah. Then, don't you agree that the job of the teacher No. Is... Well, I haven't asked the question. But I don't think you have to. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to see you. It's about the job of the teacher. But, Mr. Miss... Mr. Marriott, do you know how many children are in your son's class? Well, no. Fifty-four. There should be only twenty. Do you know how many teachers were appointed in this city last summer and failed to report for their jobs? No, I read something about that. I, I don't remember the 200, number. at least three in our school. Why, one of the new teachers quit to take a job driving a brewery truck at an increase of 30% in pay. And he didn't need a master's degree for that. Miss Whitaker, I realize that the school system is in difficulty. Well, now, that's not the point I'm making, Mr. Marriott. I'm not a financial expert or an economist. I'm interested in the children and in their parents. The parents? The only thing that can change our school situation is the parents, because I can't do that job alone, and I know it. Now, that's something I wanted to ask you about. For example, uh, now, what do you do to supplement the school program, Mr. Marriott? Well, I, I... Do you take Peter to the museums on 
trips around the city? Do you help him select radio and television programs that have some positive value? Well, yes. To a certain extent, I... Of course, you'll be participating in the school program, and I think that's very constructive of you. I will be? Well, yes, the Fifth Grade Fathers Caribbean Festival Committee. You're one of the few volunteers. Oh. Oh, yes. Of course, I told Dr. Carnahan it was a mistake. I don't think you meant to volunteer. Well, as a matter of fact, I Oh, wasn't... so few fathers are interested enough in the school program. Well, I'm interested. Now, for example, we wanted to get someone who's used to public speaking to act as master of ceremonies, perhaps an attorney. An attorney? But so few professional fathers seem to have a sense of responsibility to the school. I don't think that's true. You don't? No, I think, well, attorneys have as much sense of responsibility as anyone. Enough to volunteer as master of ceremonies for the Caribbean Festival? Why, yes, of course. As a matter of fact, I'm a lawyer myself. Yes, I know. I'll tell Dr. Carnahan he can count on you as MC. Well, I think this has been a very constructive meeting. And now I think I'd just better say good night to Peter and be off. I've really had a lovely time. When I came to bed that night, Liz had a shawl over her head and a rose between her teeth. All right, all right. Seriously, Ben, what did you think of Miss Whitaker? Well, I don't know. She's a bear on cross-examination. I was awfully impressed. She's such a dynamic woman when you consider her age. She's over 60. You notice she ducked my questions. Oh, I wouldn't say that. I think she answered all of them, in a way. How about Pete's repeating last year's work? I didn't even get a chance to bring it up. No, you didn't at that. Well, I'll find out about it. I'll see her again. At the fiesta? And that's another thing. I thought that was pretty low. But you volunteered. When I was in the Army, the sergeant used to say, I want three volunteers for a detail. You, you, and you with the glasses. That was always me. <laughs> Miss Whitaker must have served in the same platoon. <laughs> On Friday night, the fifth grade fathers committee met in the school auditorium under the direction of that eminent Latin American, Dr. Carnahan. All right, gentlemen. Gentlemen, let's proceed with the organization of our little band. Mr. Schultz, you're playing marimba. Mr. Garcia, the guitar. Mr. Fernandez, the bongo drum. Bongo, see. Well, let's see uh, who is left over. I am. Oh, yes, Mr. Marriott. How do you feel about the maracas? Well, I can take them or leave them alone. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Here you are. <laughs> Like that? Uh, more or less. All right, now, if you'll just uh, come in when I give you the downbeat. You start, Mr. Marion. One and two. <laughs> Mr. Marion? They got caught in my cuffs. <laughs> All right, now. One and two and... Is that all you can get out of them, Mr. Marion? I kind of froze. Do you have trouble with your coordination, Mr. Marion? Certainly not. We need rhythm, Caribbean rhythm. Did, 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 diddy? Did, 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 diddy? These don't go, did, 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 diddy. Mr. Marion, we borrow these instruments from the kindergarten rhythm band. I'll try again, Dr. Carnegie. Perhaps it'd be better if we saved you for the MC portion. Uh, would you mind just sitting down and waiting? Yeah, but I can well, do thank it. Thank you. Not, I, I could learn. I'm sure you can, Mr. Marion, but time is limited, you know. All right. The rest of you gentlemen... One and two. 
I was a little depressed, so I went out in the hall to get a smoke. There's somebody out there already smoking. I borrowed a light from him. Here you are, senor. Oh, thank you. Uh, you a fifth grade father? Huh? Oh, see, my, my boy, fifth grade, see. I'm Ben Marriott. I, Fernando Ramon. How do you do, Mr. Ramon? Uh, are you in this Caribbean festival affair? Festival? Oh, oh yes, yes. I seen son from Puerto Rico. Oh, then you really know what you're doing. Uh, you're from Puerto Rico, aren't you? From San Juan, see. My family come here just last month. And your boy's in school already? My, that must be pretty hard. Uh, does he speak English? Un poquito. He learned a few words in Puerto Rico, but he very good boy. Fast. He learned much faster than his father did in night school. Now, I suppose that's always the way. How does he like the school? Oh, very, very much. Mostly. They, they very good in this school for Spanish-speaking boys. The others help teach. Oh, you mean there are extra teachers? It's, no, 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 no. The, the teacher said to the English-speaking boy, you help Jose. So they read last year's book to, 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 to make it easy. Last year? They did last year's work so that the kids could help each other? Así fue la cosa, señor. My Jose, he tell me his friend, very good teacher, talk about him all the time, all day long. Pizza, 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 pizza. Must be very fine boy. Yes, I think he must be. wanted to talk to you. In the middle of the night? I was at the school tonight. You ought to keep covered up. I met one of the fathers, Mr. Ramon. Ramon? That must be Joe's father. I had quite a talk with him. You did? Uh, he told me that his boy, Jose, liked school very much. Well, he hasn't been here long. Peter, when you told me you were doing last year's work over... Why didn't you tell me that it was so you could help Jose? You didn't ask me. Is that all, Pop? You don't mind helping Jose? Don't mind doing that work over again? Why should I? What, don't you get bored repeating the same thing over again? Look, Pop. Joe told me the first week he was in New York, he got lost downtown, around 34th Street. He couldn't speak more than a few words of English. He kept asking people how to get home, but nobody could understand him. He went to a policeman, and they took him to the police station. Go on. There wasn't anyone who could speak Spanish. I was thinking how I would feel, lost and nobody I could talk to. Nobody who could understand anything I said. You see? I see. This way, if Joe learns how to talk English and read okay... He doesn't have to be scared. He can take care of himself. Anyway, Miss Whitaker says we'll both be learning something important. You know, I don't know what she means. Joe's the one who's learning, not me. I think I know what she means. Is there anything else, Pop? I don't think so, Peter. 
Good night. Good night, Pop. Ben and Liz Marriott will be back in just a moment. In the meantime, let us extend an invitation on behalf of our stars, Jessica Tandy and Hume Cronin, as well as the National Broadcasting Company, to all of you to drop by next week at this time for another half-hour observation of the marriage. Today's story was written by Ernest Canoy with Irene Hubbard as Miss Whitaker, Wendell Holmes as Mr. Carnahan, and Juana Hernandez as Mr. Ramon. David Pfeffer was heard as Pete. The Marriage is an NBC Radio Network production directed by Edward King. This is Bob Denton speaking. Oh, Ben, you mean he took the maracas away from you? Didn't even give me a chance, but I'm ready for it. You are? Mr. Ramon said it was only fair. Pete was teaching his Jose English. He'd teach me the maracas. Listen. That just about does it for us this week. Thanks so much for listening, and see you next time. Bye for now. If you've enjoyed the shows you've heard during the past hour... Be sure to tune in again next week, same time, same station, when once again, we'll listen to programs that are remembered today thanks to the involvement of Canadians in old-time radio. This is Devin Wilkins speaking.